Now, if we could keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 27, um, from verses 27 onwards, it's found on page 1005 in the Church Bibles. It's page 1005. We'll also be doing some um, cross-referencing to the Old Testament, but those verses should appear on the screen as we go along. Okay, it's a slide. All right, let me leave us in a word of prayer before we begin. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, on our own, we are too weak and foolish to understand your words. But by your Spirit, please give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and minds to understand the true identity of Jesus in our passage today. In his name we pray. Amen. It's possible to look, but fail to see. Let me just prove that to you. Um, can you go to the next slide, please? Do you know who this man is? This chap? This um, handsome-looking fella? It's a bit hard to see, but he's actually riding a horse, wearing a helmet. Um, can anyone see, he says? Anyone know who he is? Hard to figure out, isn't it? Next slide, please. Now do you know who he is? It's actually the same man. He's actually our king, our Agung. Alright? I bet you didn't know that when you first saw the first picture. It's possible to look, but fail to see. And that's true, none more so than the account of Jesus that we read about in our passage today. When we read the passage once, we see Jesus, the pathetic king. But then we discover at the end of the book of Matthew that Jesus resurrects from the grave. So when we read the passage again, we begin to notice the true identity of Jesus, the promised king. And then to conclude the sermon, we consider what it means to live for Jesus, the people's king. So the three main points today are Jesus, the pathetic king, Jesus, the promised king, and Jesus, the people's king. You can follow that on the outline in your service sheets, by the way. So let's begin with the first point. Jesus, the pathetic king. Now at the end of verse 26 in last week's sermon, Pilate, the Roman governor, having flogged Jesus or scorched Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. The Romans used crucifixion as a matter of execution, like a form of capital punishment, a bit like death by hanging here, you know, gantong sampai mati. Death by hanging. In the crucifixion, the condemned person is nailed to a large wooden cross and left to die. So we begin our passage today with Jesus on his way to die. He's going to die. In verse 27, first verse in our passage today, Pilate's soldiers took Jesus into the headquarters and gathered the whole battalion before him. And the battalion is about a hundred to a thousand soldiers, okay? Jesus was all alone before more than a hundred bloodthirsty soldiers. It was game over for Jesus. It was game on for the soldiers. They could do to him as they pleased. They could embarrass him. They could torture him. They could even kill him. And so began a chain of events that shows us just what sort of a king Jesus really is. First came the coronation, verses 27 to 31. As King Jesus was dressed up in royal splendor, 
The charge against Jesus was that, was that he claimed to be the king of the Jews. So the soldiers dressed him up like a king. A king needs a robe. So in verse 28, they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. Now in the other gospel accounts, the robe was purple, not scarlet. Like the song we just sang, purple robe. Purple was the colour of royalty. Scarlet, the colour of soldiers. Some commentators say it was probably just an old robe whose colour faded from scarlet to purple. But regardless, the point is, the soldiers put the robe on Jesus so he would look like a king. A king needs a crown. So in verse 29, they twisted together a crown made not from something soft like olive leaves, but from sharp, spiky thorns. And they put it on his head. A king needs a scepter. So they found a reed, something long and thin like a cane. And they put it in his right hand. A king needs to be honoured, so they knelt down before him and paid homage to him and said, Hail, King of the Jews! King Jesus had nothing on but a scarlet robe with thorns for a crown, a reed for a scepter, and a battalion of mocking soldiers for a guard of honour. What a loser. But the soldiers didn't stop there. In fact, they had just begun. Now, In the first half of verse 30, they spat on him from the same mouths they had just used to honour him. You call yourself a king? They're a sorry excuse for a man. In the rest of verse 30, they struck him on the head using the same reed they had just put in his hand. You want to rule us as king? Who's the king now? Let's not forget, he had been wearing a crown of thorns. So when they struck him on the head, what happened? Those thorns must have cut and pierced deep into his skull. Let's not forget, he had also been flogged back in verse 26. If you look at the ESV footnotes, the flogging or scourging involved a severe beating with a multi-lashed whip containing embedded pieces of bone and metal. So when they flogged him, the whip must have plucked and peeled off pieces of his skin. King Jesus had blood streaming down his forehead and bloody wounds exposed all over his body. What a loser. What sort of a king is Jesus? Next came the procession, verses 32 to 38. As King Jesus was paraded before his subjects. Now, after the physical abuse earlier, Jesus must have been too weak to carry his own cross. So, in verse 32, they made a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, carry his cross. Simon who? Simon of Cyrene? Where was Simon Peter? Where were the other disciples? Back in chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus had told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If Peter and the other disciples had carried their crosses figuratively, they would have been there to carry Jesus' cross, literally. Instead, it was left to one Simon of Cyrene, a foreigner, a stranger, a nobody. What? A loser. Then they came to a place called Golgotha, 
where they would crucify him. Ah, the crucifixion, the climax of the procession, the moment everyone had been waiting for. But Matthew almost mentions it in passing at the start of verse 35. Do you notice that? Hardly even mentions it. And when they had crucified him. No mention of the bloody mess as they nailed his hands and feet to the cross. He was simply crucified. No mention of the agonizing screams as they lifted him up, forcing him to support himself only by his outstretched arms. He was simply crucified. And when they were done crucifying him, they divided his garments among themselves by casting lots, then sat down and kept watch. The only indication of his kingship was a pathetic sign over his head that read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. What a loser. And in verse 38, two robbers were crucified with him. One on the right, one on the left. Two robbers, two nameless crooks, two lowly criminals. They were treating Jesus no differently to a robber. But in his lifetime, Jesus healed the blind and deaf, the mute and lame, those with leprosy and evil spirits, raised a girl from the dead, and once even fed 5,000 people with a few loaves and some fish. He should have been made philanthropist of the year or awarded Nobel Peace Prize, not end up as someone they crucified between two robbers. What a loser. What sort of a king is Jesus. Next came the celebration, verses 39 to 44. As King Jesus was accorded his accolades. Back in chapter 21, verse 8, the people had given Jesus a royal welcome, spreading cloaks and branches on the road. No, palm branches. As he entered Jerusalem, shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! But then only a few days later, In verse 39, those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and said, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. Prove yourself, Jesus. Our forefathers took only 46 years to build this temple, so you must surely have some kind of supernatural power to rebuild it in three days. Prove yourself. Perform a miracle. Conjure up some magic. Save yourself. Come down from the cross. What are you still doing up there? Come down now. You're not going to come down, are you? You're not really the Son of God, are you? King Jesus went from hero to zero in a matter of days. What a loser. Back in chapter 26, verse 3, the chief priests and elders had been plotting together to arrest Jesus by stealth and to kill him. And now in verse 41, they had what they wanted. The chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Prove yourself, Jesus. If you're really the Son of God, then your Father must surely love you enough to save you from these mere mortals, 
these pagan Roman soldiers. Prove yourself. Call on your father. Summon your angels. Make us believe. This is your moment. Come down now from the cross. What are you still doing up there? Come down. Where is your father? Where is your God? King Jesus failed to prove his critics wrong when it mattered most. What a loser. And to add salt to his wounds, even the robbers, yes, those robbers, those nameless crooks, those lowly criminals, they reviled him in the same way. What sort of a king is Jesus? So far, I think it's fair to say Jesus looks like one pathetic king. He was abused physically, flopped and beaten and crucified. He was abused emotionally, deserted by his own disciples and fallen out of favour by his own people. He was abused mentally, mocked and derided and reviled. He was rejected by the Jews, he was rejected by the Gentiles. And worst of all, as we will see in verse 46 on Good Friday in Andrew's sermon, he was rejected by God the Father. Jesus was rejected, but before we get too dejected, let's find out how the book of Matthew ends, okay? After Jesus was, cru- Jesus was crucified, he died and was buried, but he didn't stay dead for long. In chapter 28, verses 5 to 7, let's fast forward to chapter 28, an angel said to the woman who was visiting his tomb, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. That's what the angel said. And at the end of chapter 28, Jesus really did appear to his disciples in Galilee, just as the angel said. Jesus spoke to them. And the other parts of the New Testament, he ate with them, let them touch his wounds, and even appeared to more than 500 people at once. So was Jesus really such a pathetic king? Was he really the loser we looked at just now? How are we to understand our passage today? Well, let's move on to the second point. Jesus, the promised king. Now the later chapters in the book of Isaiah speak of a servant of God who will restore Israel to its former glory. But that servant had to suffer to to fulfill his purpose. In our passage today, Matthew alludes to Jesus as that suffering servant. In Isaiah 50 verse 6, it should be on the screen now. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 6, hope you can see that. The servant said, I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. We saw something similar when Jesus was stripped naked, flogged with a whip, struck with a reed, and disgracefully spat on by the soldiers. Jesus gave himself to abuse, just like that suffering servant. In Isaiah 53, verse 12, next one. God said of his servant, 
Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. We saw something similar when Jesus was crucified between two robbers on a cross, like a common criminal. Jesus was counted with the transgressors, just like their suffering servant. And the suffering servant suffered for a reason. In the rest of verse 12, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus, the suffering servant, suffered the cross to bear the sins of many so that many may be free from their sins. How noble. What sort of a king is Jesus now? The Psalms, they are filled with many chapters that speak of God's king, a Messiah, an anointed one, a chosen one, descended from David, who would rule the world in justice and righteousness. In our passage today, Matthew alludes to Jesus as that Davidic Messiah. In Psalm 22, verses 6 to 8. Next few slides. Yep, that one. David said, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Didn't you see something similar? When the passers-by mocked Jesus and wagged their heads? And when the chief priests taunted Jesus to come down from the cross? In fact, in fact, the chief priests used words that were almost identical to those in the psalm. Jesus was scorned and despised, just like the king in Psalm 22. In another part of Psalm 22, verses 16 to 18, David said, For dogs encompass me, Accomplished evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. We saw something similar when the soldiers nailed Jesus' hands and feet to the cross, piercing it. They divided his garments among themselves by casting lots, just as the psalm said. And then they kept watch over him, like staring and gloating at him. Jesus was helpless just like the king in Psalm 22. Another one in Psalm 69, verse 21. David said, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. We saw something similar when the soldiers, they offered Jesus wine mixed with gall or poison to drink. Jesus was given poison, just like the king in that psalm. Jesus the King, the Anointed One, the Davidic Messiah, could have come down from the cross there and then and proven once and for all beyond any reasonable doubt that He was the Son of God. But He didn't because He had a mission to accomplish. He refused to put up a fight because He had to go to the cross. He refused to accept the poison because He had to go to the cross. He refused to succumb to the mocking because He had to go to the cross. And when he got to the cross, he had to die. And he died in agony. But he died willingly. What sort of a king is Jesus? I hope we can all see by now that Jesus is the promised king of the Old Testament. 
the Son of God himself, sent to, sent to suffer on the cross to bear the sins of many. The greatest irony is, those who mocked Jesus were right. The soldiers in verse 29 said, Hail, King of the Jews! The chief priest in verse 42 said, He is the King of Israel. The sign in verse 37 read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Jesus is the King of the Jews. And not only of the Jews, but also of the world. If we today have eyes, not only to look, but to see beyond Jesus, the pathetic King, to Jesus, the promised King, then He is our King too. We can call Jesus our King. He is our Lord and Saviour. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! So what? So what? What does it mean to say Jesus is our King? What does it mean to live for Jesus as our King? Let's move on to the third and final point. Jesus, the people's King. I think there are three points we can look at today. Three applications. Firstly, don't make a mockery of the cross. Don't make a mockery of the cross. That's it. There. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but almost everyone in our passage today mocked Jesus. Some, like the soldiers, mocked him because they didn't know his true identity. Sheer ignorance. Others, like the chief priests, mocked him because they refused to accept his identity. Rejection. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we know and accept and hopefully acknowledge Jesus as our king. So unlike the soldiers and the chief priests, we have no excuse. We have no reason to be mocking Jesus. Why then do we keep making a mockery of the cross? We make a mockery by the way we live. How can we live as if the cross means nothing to us? How can we still go on sinning? How can we still gossip behind people's back? How can we still harbour hatred against each other? How can we still stare at women lustfully and watch porn on the internet? How can we still buy pirated movies and download pirated music? How can we still go on sinning? We should have been the ones punished for our sins. We should have been the ones flogged and beaten and crucified. We should have been the ones mocked and derided and reviled. We should have been the ones on the cross. But at the cross, Jesus graciously took our punishment upon himself. So don't, don't make a mockery of the cross. Or maybe we substitute the cross for more tangible things. It could be things that appear Christian, like attending church, singing the right hymns, saying the right prayers, reciting the right liturgy, taking part in communion. We're going to have it soon. It could be something that appears moral, like doing community work or donating to charity. It could be something totally heretical, like worshipping idols or praying to a saint. Those things cannot make us right with God as much as they might appear good. The cross is the only way. There was no other way. If there was, God would have removed the cup of His wrath 
when Jesus prayed to him in Gethsemane. If there was another way, God wouldn't have sent Jesus to suffer the humiliation of the cross. Apart from the cross, there is no other way to be right with God. So don't make a mockery of the cross. Secondly, don't be ashamed of the cross. As we were looking at the passage, looking at the pain, the blood, the suffering, did we feel slightly ashamed of the cross? A slight sense of shame come over you? After all, in the eyes of the world, our friends, our families, our colleagues and our classmates, our neighbours, the cross looks weak and foolish. As much as we can stop ourselves from mocking, making a mockery of the cross, we can't really stop others from mocking us for believing in the cross. See that person standing over there? Became a Christian a few weeks ago. Used to party with us at the coolest clubs in town, but not anymore. Now, plain old boring. Always talking about Jesus this, Jesus that. Always going to this meeting, that meeting, church meeting, Bible study meeting, prayer meeting. Huh. Once even had the nerve to invite us to church. Expected us to believe that Jesus guy, who couldn't even save himself from a few soldiers, was supposed to be king, supposed to be our God. Such a weak and foolish message. Clearly not clever enough to read the books by that really smart Oxford professor called Richard Dawkins. When the world mocks the weakness of the cross, do we then wish something else had happened? Do we wish that Jesus had come down from the cross? That he killed the soldiers using the nails in his hands? Reclaimed his garments? Silenced the passers-by? Shut up the chief priests? And made everyone bow down before him and worship him? While the cross remained insignificantly in the background, with the only thing on it being a sign that read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Would have looked good. But wouldn't have made us right with God. When the world mocks the foolishness of the cross, do we then wish Jesus had been more like a Greek philosopher of his day, with clever sounding arguments, with answers to every question, and books to every subject, uh, that we have questions to, and none of that suffering and blood stuff at the cross? Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we should know that Christ crucified is the power and wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 24, the Apostle Paul wrote, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You see, the cross demonstrates the power of God in saving his people from their sins. The cross demonstrates the wisdom of God in serving justice and mercy to his people both at the same time. The cross isn't weak. The cross isn't foolish. So don't be ashamed of the cross. And finally, the last application. Take up your cross. Apart from Jesus, did you notice there was only one other person whose name appeared explicitly in our passage today. 
in verse 32, Simon of Cyrene carried Jesus' cross. Brothers and sisters, as Christians, we have been called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow Jesus. To take up our cross means to die to ourselves and to live for Jesus. Just as Jesus died to himself and lived for his Father, it involves suffering. It involves sacrifice. Are we willing to take up our cross if it means sacrificing our relationships with our friends and families? It could mean saying no to past sinful behavior at the risk of losing long-term friendships. It could mean saying no to ancestor worship or getting baptized against our family's wishes at the risk of being disowned by our own family. Are we willing to take up our cross if it means sacrificing our careers? It could mean saying no to bribery, corruption or fraud at the risk of missing out on a job promotion. It could mean refusing to entertain clients in seedy bars or massage parlours at the risk of losing out to a competitor. It could mean foregoing promising careers or prestigious degrees to be full-time paid gospel workers. Are we willing to take up our cross if it means sacrificing our comforts and luxuries? It could mean giving up precious weekends or evenings to prepare and lead Bible studies. It could mean giving up public holidays when you want to just go overseas to actually attend a church retreat or a Bible conference. It could mean buying a less luxurious car to give the money saved to support an apprentice. It could mean living in a less affluent area to share the good news of Jesus with people who would otherwise never know that Jesus is the Son of God. Taking up our cross is not easy. But it is the mark of a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus. So don't make a mockery of the cross. Don't be ashamed of the cross. But take up your cross and live for Jesus, the people's King. Now if you're not a Christian here today, let me conclude briefly by encouraging you to trust in the cross. Trust in Jesus and what he did for you at the cross. Read Matthew's account of the Gospel and see for yourself the true identity of Jesus. I began this sermon by saying it's possible to look but fail to see. It's possible to look but fail to see. In verse 42, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Do you see your King? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus and the suffering he endured at the cross. We cannot even begin to imagine how he must have felt, but we are grateful for what he achieves for us there. We are truly sorry for the times when we make a mockery of the cross, for failing to live in light of it. We are truly sorry for the times when we feel ashamed of the cross, 
for failing to appreciate its power and wisdom. Please give us eyes to see the true identity of Jesus beyond the suffering he endured to the victory he achieved. Please give us the strength to take up our cross and follow Jesus, our King. In his name we pray. Amen.